it's valuable and it cannot be held by physical hands, it's probably worth holding on to. This is Immaterial Treasures. I'm your host, Dan P. Parker. Thank you for tuning in. Welcome to Immaterial Treasures. I'm Dan P. Parker, and today is the second episode of Chronicles of a Young Pastor. Our guest today is Will Klotz. I'm in Manassas, Virginia. went to one of his services, so he's giving me his time after preaching, a really good sermon. And in the sermon today, he talked about baptism, and the most unique thing happened. His son got baptized. His son's name is Caleb. He's 10, and Caleb's on here. Caleb, can you talk about your baptism? How did that feel? It felt great just being able to share with the church and just going in the water and being baptized was amazing. I really liked your testimony. And uh, could you give us a little bit of what you said with your testimony? Yeah. So I have three sisters and I have been in Manassas my whole life. I, um, When I was eight, I just started thinking about Jesus. And then when I was... Yeah, and then I um, saw went to Tyler, Texas, and we went to a church there, and they had other kids being baptized. So then I started thinking about baptism. I started reading different verses, and one of the my favorite verses was Romans 6, 3 through 4. And then I was just closing out with, like, I want the whole church to know, especially the kids, to know how much God loves them, and yeah. That's amazing. I'm surprised you know the the verse. That was pretty cool. Um, thanks for sharing that. I, I could see when you were going in the water that it was really cold. How cold was it? It was very cold. Colder it, than when you turn the shower to cold. <laughs> <laughs> but it was worth it, right? Yeah. That's awesome. Thanks for giving us that. All right, so now we're going to get into um, the podcast, and we're going to talk to Will and his wife, Chelsea Klotz, and we're going to get a bit of background about their journey and how they got to where they're at. I met Will and Chelsea years ago. I actually I feel like I met them together. <laughs> we did. did. We were kind of a uh, friend dating, not not official at that time, and uh, I feel like I've aged a ton, but you look like the same 19-year-old. <laughs> no, no, he's, he hasn't really aged, but you've always looked the same. You've always been a man-child. <laughs> you know and it's funny because like uh, when i met them they both used to wear like cowboy jerseys together and now uh i don't think chelsea wears it anymore i will sit and support <laughs> for about six minutes <laughs> at least you're still supporting so before we get into our um conversation about chronicles of a young pastor i wanted to just get will maybe like a, a bit of your story how did you become a christian um and then chelsea you can share that too and when you became a Christian, how did you discern God's calling on your life? And how did you know for a fact that this is what I want to do? I want to go into ministry. Mm-hmm. So for me, the uh, church world, Protestant church world, was very foreign. Uh, wasn't raised in that environment. Was raised Catholic. At times, we were a little bit committed. Like, I did the first communion and everything. But by the time I was a teenager, we were very nominal. And it had no effect on my life whatsoever. Had a general theology of um, just kind of live however you want, and then at the end, it's you know jobs, God's job to forgive you, so uh, he'll do that. And I really had always sought out sort of like the exciting party um, drug experiences, even kind of early in high school, and that led me down a road of becoming pretty severely addicted. Uh, my family saw what was happening to me, and 
was super fortunate uh, where they, at the time, I didn't think I was fortunate. It was the worst thing that ever happened to me, but they dropped me off unbeknownst to me at a uh, rehab program in West Florida uh, where uh, the gospel was, first of all, I saw, you know, sort of a Protestant world, a very uh, charismatic environment, which really freaked me out. Mm-hmm. And then uh, through all of that, though, I began to hear of God's redeeming love, um, all these themes that I heard about that were just kind of background noise in the Catholic church, just general words like grace, um, God's love, all of those things went from just background noise to the most precious realities that I could ever hold of. And it was a very miserable time. I was in a completely locked down 15 month long rehab experience. It was like military style. So all of the things around me were pretty miserable, but these things became, I guess I could say immaterial treasures to Mm. me. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, from there just have had ups and downs, but the Lord's continued to sustain me through the years. And now I'm living back in the area where I used to kind of run wild, uh, as a teenager. Mm. That's amazing. And now just running wild as a 33 year old. (laughs) (laughs) And Chelsea, how did you become a believer? So I guess Caleb and I have a pretty similar, um, experience of growing up in a Christian home where our parents, you know, are sharing with us, the love of Jesus. And, um, Caleb actually said today in the car after service, he wishes he (laughs) had done really bad things. And then, you know, Jesus could, he could share how Jesus saved him from something really, really, really bad. Mm. And so I was sharing with him how I used to have those thoughts too. And, and just that, um, he and the other guy who was baptized today, who, um, has a lot of, experiences, um, more so than a, you know, a nine-year-old boy was that you both have the same story and you both have the same testimony. And apart from Christ, you are both completely dead and, Mm -hmm. um, have been made alive. So that was the case for me, even though, um, I've known about Christ through my upbringing and, um, I too was baptized around eight years old and my relationship with the Lord grew out of, um, besides my parents teaching me the Bible and about God's love and what Jesus had done on the cross was my personal experience with anxiety. So I was very, um, just anxious as a, as a child. And so my encounters with the Lord were, um, first experienced as like comforts of Jesus, um, always being there for me and helping me. And, um, when I'm afraid, and so from that grew deeper, you know, as you grow older, there's deeper fears, deep, deeper life experiences. And so there's that. But then, you know, I think through the years growing more and more aware of not just Jesus is there to help me when I'm afraid, but like my need for a savior of how, you know, how I tend towards trying to prove my worth or trying to get God's love by, by having really good behavior and him just showing me through the years and in my relationship with him that he loves me apart from my good works. And so that's a piece of my story. That's amazing. And it's funny that Caleb said that about wanting to do something massive to be saved from essentially to have a reason to be like, Oh yeah, Christ saved me from this. And just, it makes me remind, uh, reminds me of a story that one of our old pastor told us about one guy I think it was like a service and everybody was talking about, I mean, the wild lives they had lived, right? And like some wild stories were shared. And then this guy came up and he didn't have a wild story, but he prefaced his statement by saying, I'm worse than all of you guys. 
And everybody was like, what? Like, no. And he's like, yeah, God saved me from pride. And like, and that right there is really the essence of sin, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just that self-love. Uh, God made us in his image and we, we decided to return the favor, you know? Um, so, no, that's really good. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so, Will, let's get to uh, how did you know that you were called to be a pastor? How did you, de- how did you discern that? And it seems like that happened when you guys got married or before. What, what, what well, when I came to faith, uh, I would look at leaders who were doing ministry type things, even if it wasn't in the local church, and just there was an appeal to that. I didn't really know what to do with my life. Uh, I was so far behind in school. I ended up just graduating with my GED and had always been a train wreck academically, whether it was reading comprehension, writing, any of that. Like um, none of that really uh, settled with me. But honestly, I think something, just a spiritual gift, if you want to call it that, or just supernatural ability sort of was given to my uh, barely hanging on in high school, 16 drug addicted self after I got redeemed where I could pick up the Bible and just understand it. Um, mm. I would, you know, go, uh, it had no money, but my mom might take me to a Christian bookstore, you know, on some of the breaks from the rehabs. And I'd be so excited to get just commentaries to help me understand the Bible to get better. So there's this early desire to read the Bible and even to take opportunities to communicate it to people in that program that I was in. I left from there and went to kind of a young adult internship program in East Texas that further solidified just some desire for leadership and all of that kind of stuff. But it wasn't until my um, early 20s, 2021, and you were actually with me in some of this process where this general love for ministry, sharing the gospel turned into a love for the church. And... uh, found a healthy church in the Fairfax area, which is about 30 minutes from here, mm-hmm. where uh, was commuting to, they really helped solidify what some of these internal desires were and what what that could actually look like, doing pastoral ministry, possibly even church planting. So it, it, it was then years of sort of a desire that was there to, to do this work that then a little longer than I wanted it to, but it was a good process of watching those desires t- become affirmed by uh, church leadership and then them coming into agreement that that gospel ministry was it, and then that took shape in church planting. It's mm, amazing. And um, when you felt that call and wanted to pursue it, um, how was Chelsea an asset to that? Chelsea, how, what, what did you like? How would you say you uh, kind of kind of pushed it? Did you observe that and you said, "Yeah, yeah, I think that's a." And was that like that? Was that an important encouragement needed for you to be like, "Yes, this is where I need to go." I, I would start by saying, I think our relationship was always founded on serving the Lord in some capacity. So mm-hmm. we met being sort of youth leaders at a church. We then kind of stepped out. Uh, I had the idea of doing a Friday night prayer meeting, and she immediately came into that and was kind of a part of leading and helping facilitate that. Um, you know, it, it, we were always kind of in it together with that. As kids came along, some of that became more challenging. But she's always been, and I think even before we were married, we sort of had this general understanding of, I think this is the life the Lord's called us to together. Mm-hmm. Whether we go overseas somewhere or pastor a church, we didn't know what that would take form, but she's always been there on board, you know, um, ready to ready to work and work with me. And then in church planting, really it's, a you know, church planting wives, maybe in general, as I've seen specifically with Chelsea, they do so much behind the scenes and provide so much support whether it's to our family or to me in my weak moments um, where there's not a ton of spotlight in this season of life for Chelsea. um, But none of this would be here without her involvement and her support through it. All right. How do you feel about that, Chelsea? 
Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, when we, before we got, well, when we got engaged, I guess, and then started envisioning our lives together, it, we came into marriage on the same page of ministry is potentially, you know, a part of our life, a part of our family, a part of our future. Like Will said, whether that's overseas or um, here. And so it, it was never shocking to me, you know, when he started taking seminary classes or when we were talking about starting a church here in the city that I grew up in. And um, what's been more amazing to me is just the way that God has worked out every single step and every part of the process um, has just been like one miracle of God's provision after another when I think the both of us you know, not just me and him with the vision, but I think the both of us just, you know, having no idea kind of what's going to happen next, but God providing, you know, a, a meeting space and the people and the funds and just all the things and the way that they all came about um, specifically for church planting is just God's hand in it all. And um, uh, everything was just, we like to say, birthed in prayer. Mm -hmm. So the whole process, I think, of our ministry, our friendship was founded on a prayer meeting. Going into church planting was um, years and years of prayer. And then when, you know, things started becoming tangible, it was, um, I truly believe, the hand of God. And so, yeah, we've both been in it. And then, you know, these past couple of years have been extremely hard and a different uh, season of life and a se different season of the church. Um, so kind of feel at that place again of, of just praying and mm -hmm. waiting on the Lord. Yeah. I wanted to get into that to ask about, you said that this current season has been a difficult one. I wanted you to look through your journey of going into ministry, the years that it's been. Um, and can you point to the darkest times like what and, and and like the most difficult moments and how did that look and how did you get out of it and what was the most rewarding moments in your in your process so far yep so um glad you threw the rewarding part on the end too otherwise we, maybe we just close it out there and be <laughs> be all done uh probably about 4 years in to pastoral ministry was the hardest time because it's already with like good external circumstances, meaning like no COVID, none of the sort of controversies we've been dealing with as of recent. When new pastors um, are in that kind of three, four, five-year area, it can just become difficult in, in itself. Um, you know, maybe expectations that you had didn't go through or, uh, you know, people aren't, maybe there's a little bit of uh, excitement in that initial relationship, but when you're just kind of a normal pastor, a lot of that fades away. So that's already hard. But then if you add on top of that, the what COVID did to us and in leadership, um, being in completely uncharted territory, um, feeling like at every point we're reacting. So we had, you know, pretty uh, tight lockdowns in this area um, that was followed by a lot of the racial unrest and subsequent uh, controversies that followed that, followed by a political year, followed by people just being kind of weary and tired of it all, and us trying to figure out how at that point, as we were starting to gather again due COVID, we're just constantly reacting to a new challenge where we feel like, man, I'm not, I can't sort of get a, get a handle on anything. Mm. I'm just always doing something new. Uh, and then underneath those, watching just ministry relationships just tear apart. Um, 
you know, I read Second Timothy at times when Paul will describe basically, you know, everyone in Asia left me. You know, there are moments where you feel that way just alone and uh, trying to press forward in what the Lord has for, for his people. So this past year, just being new in ministry, hitting that kind of four or five year mark and then throwing on top of it all of the things that have been happening around us, very challenging. The rewarding times um, are days like today. The Lord just blessed us really for the first time since COVID of having a baptism service where we're able to take some some of these truths that we preach about God's redeeming grace. And sometimes after a while, uh, it can just become something you say. Maybe you can become a bit um, just too familiar with it. But then when you hear a story of someone who was snatched out of darkness into light and how Jesus has redeemed their life and the Lord really does meet us in these ordinances of baptism, watching this, you know, dramatic presentation of someone going in the water and coming back up and the celebration in the church around it. Those moments are what it's all about. And that's, um, I wouldn't say that's what keeps you going. Cause if you rely on those, a lot of times those aren't immediately ready. The, mm-hmm. the Lord sustaining grace, continuing to seek him in prayer and through his word or what keep you going. And then those are the kind of rewards along the way. And for you, Chelsea, what's been, What's it been like? What's been the most difficult? Or like, okay, so Will probably comes home discouraged from ministry. How does that affect you and the family? And how do you guys recover from those kind of things? Because I know his ministry, I mean, the flourishing of his ministry is reflective in the home. And then if the ministry isn't going too well, there's discouragements that can also have an effect on the home. So how's that been for you guys? Yeah. In the times, you know, where Will's been discouraged, um, Obviously, I'm trying to encourage him still in in the midst of uh, things feeling unsettled and he trying to do the same for me. You know, Mm -hmm. one thing I am so, so grateful for is, um, you know, through difficult times, there's the temptation either in in a relationship, specifically a marriage. But, you know, in a difficult time is either going to draw you closer together, right, or pull you apart or bring out you know, the worst in you towards each other, or you take it out on each other by God's amazing grace that didn't, has not happened, um, the past, past couple of years to us. Um, it's been a, as crazy as it sounds, a, a sweet time in our marriage where we have been there for each other and God just sustaining us and our, our relationship. Um, and so I think the more discouraging part, um, so I guess, I'm trying to say is it, it hasn't affected like our, our marriage or our family so much negatively, but the discouraging and hardest part has been the times where, you know, where I don't, didn't see will flourishing in, in the specific gifting that God had given him or, um, more of watching him go through the hard time is, Mm -hmm. is just hard. And, and, um, you know, and some of those specific dark times of just, of wanting to see, see the joy of the, the Lord in him, the joy of ministry that, um, he had and the Lord has been kind staying us through it. And, um, yeah, the rewarding parts of ministry are what has been said as well of the baptisms and salvations, or, you know, it just, it really does seem out of nowhere. Like you just, you labor, you get discouraged, you keep laboring. And then it is like out of nowhere that, you know, someone's coming to visit the church or you have a spiritual conversation with somebody or, um, you hear uh, the testimony like today at baptism that 
are just God's kindness to remind you like, okay, I got God speaking. I am alive. I am here. I am working and you can't always see it, but I am doing things. And whenever we get to taste that, it's really is a gift. Mm, That's good. Um, It's almost like most people would, I mean, I think we all would like it if God just kind of like would meet every effort with like a reward, you know, but it's like, he doesn't always operate like that. He wants us to be faithful even when we don't see anything. And then it's like out of nowhere, you know, you'll see some fruit coming out. Um, And it's not that it wasn't there, but just God works uh, according to his own timing and in his wisdom. One of the things that I wanted to ask you, Will, is what's the biggest misconception that people have about the pastorate? For somebody that may be listening that may be like, okay, interested, or somebody that's just kind of a church member and perhaps needs needs to know this about your position and even church planting, what does it look like? What's the biggest misconception, the bubble that needs to be popped for people? Uh, maybe it's been a while since I've, I don't, I don't know if my perspective on this is, is the best, but probably even if you're inside the church or outside the church, you think of pastoral ministry primarily as like a spotlight kind of thing. So those outside the church, sometimes you'll tell them you're a pastor and they're, you know, the thought is like, what do you do all week? Like, uh, because you have the Sunday stuff and I understand that that's like the spotlight stuff. Mm -hmm. But then even maybe in the church world, there can be this thought of like, pastoring is the sage on the stage. It's those kind of big moments in front of people, but probably most effective pastoral ministry that people don't aware of is more one-on-one is more coffee tables, time in people's homes. And I honestly feel like I can sometimes drift into the misconception that my primary thing is like the Sunday morning or the member meeting or like the big stuff. And, and even sometimes neglect, no, you, we've got to labor in those individual one-on-one uh, or small group settings as well. So I, that's probably the biggest one is that people think it's a a stage and a platform and you do stand up there some, but that's a pretty small percentage of mm-hmm. all the work that's in it. Yeah, that's good. Um, so along with that, with that idea um, of what's unseen um, by the pastorate, like how can you make other people see that you're human like them, like you're a sinner, just like them being saved by grace. Uh, and not they not elevate you to a place where, oh, Will has it all, right? Because sometimes when we stand behind anybody, really, when you stand behind the, God's word, um, you can speak authoritatively, which sometimes makes this, makes the hearer feel as though you've understood it and you're living perfectly by it. Mm-hmm. Um, and pastors have the opportunity to do that on a regular basis. So then there's mis- this conception about the pastor that he might not know what my life is like in the here and now at my job, in my home. Can he relate to that? You know, that kind of thing. Like, like, could you speak into that a bit? Sure. So one helpful practical thing that I would advise most younger people looking towards uh, ministry vocations is like I had seven years and then even a little bit doing some other things before that, but seven years in sort of the business world where I really wanted to be in ministry and at times was miserable, but that's where the Lord had me. Mm-hmm. But I think some of those years was just a gift for later ministry where like I can remember those I can remember commuting and what that was like. And I can remember, you know, as a pastor, you just want your church member, we, we need you at this event. We need you serving here. We need you doing this. But then you can remember, I remember what it was like to have two little kids and just struggling to make it to community group and having mm-hmm. to wake up for work the next day, you know? Uh, so, so that background is helpful. And then in the ministry, some of it will come down to as a leader, as a pastor, having a real firm gospel identity where 
I don't have to put on my best face all the time. So like you can come into my house and my kids can melt down in front of you and I can maybe even make some poor parenting decisions in front of you. And like, that's okay. Like I'm fine. I'm a parent Mm. just like you with kids that don't always want to listen or Mm. um, I've got marriage struggles just like you or um, even just maybe my house isn't in order. Like we're just trying to keep up with like getting the dishes washed and laundry folded and those kinds of things. Just having some freedom where I don't have to be seen in any light. Mm-hmm. Um, the Lord has spoken his acceptance over me. So now I can just be a bit of a human that tries to study the Bible, tries to pray and tries to lead among God's people. Yeah, no, that's good. And I think it's, it's nice to know that, or it's nice for your members to know that you were in the trenches at one point, working a regular job, trying to find out, discern God's will for your life. And you were faithful there until God moved you. So you can speak into that and understand that, um, like for their lives on a daily basis, what it looks like. I think that's really helpful. Um, so with regards to just the ministry, how do you think, um, based on the Black Lives Matter and COVID, how have, have those two events affected the church? And how do you think it's going to make the church like look in the future based on these like really dramatic events that's happened in society? Sure. Um, the best I can do is talk about my own limited context in Manassas. Um, some of these, whether it's COVID policies or um, race-related discussions, are these big cultural, not even just in the U.S., like global attention, global opinions. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I can't really speak too much to that, but in my own context here um, in Manassas. So how has COVID first of all, affected things. Um, Pre-COVID, you know, you'd come in our church, and I would say one of the shining, like, lights in our church culture was a culture of hospitality, and I don't just mean welcoming people into your home. That's maybe one expression of it. Biblical word for hospitality just means to befriend strangers, which means if you're maybe a little bit on the outside or uh, you're new here or whatever, I see that, I notice that, and I draw you in. And there's a relational warmth, a humility, Philippians 2, you know, uh, consider others more significant than yourself, those sorts of things really shine. As everything shut down, as we all kind of isolated a bit, I look at my own church culture and like a lot of that died and we're just trying to relearn how to live. uh, What is it even basic loving your neighbor look like right now? Those are things that I feel like we're having to relearn. And I feel like those are going to be the things going forward that make the church shine the most as now there's an even greater, I mean, consider the amount of time we spend on zoom now versus where we were in talks of virtual reality headsets mm-hmm. and the metaverse, whatever that is. So there's this whole movement towards continued real relational distance through technology. Perhaps one of the ways that the church can continue to shine going forward is to go back to our roots, simply loving our neighbor, showing hospitality, and um, as Christ said, you know, letting the world know we're his disciples by the way we love each other. I think we've got to pick that that up again. Um, and then on the other front, whatever we want to call it, BLM um, and those kinds of things, man, I feel like this thing is still so live and trying mm-hmm. to sort it out. Um, I've seen just people in my church get very passionate on both sides um, and just completely throw out some biblical commands, like how James describes wisdom as being peaceable, uh, how James would call us to be slow to speak, quick to listen. Um, I think in some regards, man, our Lord is at his last moments of his life, and the thing that is on his mind is 
the unity of his body. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we downplay it a little bit. And I know we don't want a false unity where we just brush over issues and just smile at each other. But in saying that, I think some people have just totally downplayed the weight that our Lord and then his apostles put on the unity of the church, where this is supposed to be one of the things that stands out among us, even in the midst of our differences. So I've seen polar sides of these, this struggle really become uh, embittered and uh, maybe say true things, but totally miss any kind of um, humble gospel culture in the midst of it. Mm-hmm. Um, what does it look like going forward? I feel like it's, I'm just in humility, I'd say, I don't know. I feel like it's all kind of so live and we're still trying to sort it out that I'm right. not quite sure what it'll look like going forward. Right, right. Uh, I think along with that, so these really controversial conversations about COVID or Black Lives Matter, these racial tensions or whatever, it's created this dynamic where people are like exiting churches and whatnot, um, which can, like you said, I think I agree with you 100% that the Lord is really concerned about the unity of his church. And these things that are bringing, are coming into like society and into the church are really testing if, um, if we can actually show ourselves to be loving. Uh, I know Jesus did, Jesus said the greatest evidence of us being um, his disciples is the love we have for each other, uh, for each other, not what we agree on essentially. Right. Um, So I guess my question is to both of you on this one. How do you deal with abandonment? How do you deal with um, someone just choosing, all right, I'm done. Don't want to talk to you again when you used to be friends, you know, when the person you loved, trusted is gone. Uh, the reason why I ask that is because it's often said that the pastor is a very lonely position. You know, um, most pastors don't have close friends, some whom, someone they can bear their soul to and trust, right? Or even a pastor's wife. You know, how how do you have somebody that you can call a sister and love and talk to about stuff without being afraid that she might go gossip about your stuff in the church? You know what I mean? How do you guys deal with that? The The abandonment one is big. I guess I can go first if you have any immediate thoughts. Um, so I think I was reading a little description of ministry that Keller was writing to new pastors describing how, and I don't even know that he was necessarily talking about abandonment as much as some of just the broader challenges he faces as a pastor. And it's like, that's non-negotiable. You will face either abandonment, suffering, relational difficulty in some way. So two options from that non, that's going to happen. Two options. It's either over the years going to make you uh, just a more bitter, ugly, miserable person, mm-hmm. or it's going to make you a more beautiful person. Mm-hmm. And how we choose to respond to those abandonment moments are going to be the things that determine that. And it's all still very live for me, and I'm still before the Lord trying to sort some of these things out. But Paul sets the example perfectly on how you do this. Um, I don't remember what chapter. It's towards the end of Second Timothy, the end of his life. He's standing trial, and he describes how at this very vulnerable, very needy moment, um, some of his closest companions were not there. In other words, they abandoned him similar to Jesus when his disciples abandoned him at his worst moment. And, um, Paul goes from there instead of like lashing out and calling down God's wrath on them. He just powerfully says, Lord, may you not count it against them. In other words, like I expected, and I felt like I was even owed given our relationship that these people would be there for me as I stood trial, but they weren't cancel that debt. I forgive them. They don't have to pay me back. Now, how does he have the power to do that? Is what he says in the next verse. It says, everyone abandoned me, but the Lord stood by my side. Mm. So the way you keep going is recognizing I'm going to experience loss, pain, abandonment in relationships. And that's either an opportunity to get real bitter 
or to turn my gaze towards the Lord, who's promised, like in Matthew 28, he'll never, uh, lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age, and to say, hey, whatever I needed from them with their presence in my life, forgive them that they didn't give it to me. I turn that to the Lord to recognize he is going to supply all of those things for me. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's the only path forward with abandonment, whether it's pastoral ministry, all of us go through that relational, relationally betrayal, um, those sorts of things, taking what you were expecting from someone and trusting the Lord to give it to you. Um, at lunch today after church, DMV, actually, you said a comment when we were talking on a completely different subject um, about someone going through a hard time was pain is pain. Pain mm. is pain. And something that I have tried to do through people leaving the church the past year and a half is, which I have not at all by any means done perfectly, and I still um, have a lot of questions and confusion about um, how to move forward. But one thing that I've tried to do is put myself in, in the other person's shoes because I experience a lot of pain, yes. But but people who are struggling through um, COVID and, and these race matters and all of these things, even if they feel very confident about, you know, their perspective on things, they are still have gone through hard things in their mm. lives, <laughs> this being one of them, and other hard things in their lives. A lot of people, um, even in the church, you know, globally right now, who who there seems to be division and ripping apart, these are real people with families, a lot with young kids, um, kind of like we were talking about earlier of, like, you know, you have a job, you're trying to take care of a family, and then you've got like this church drama, you know, on top of that. And it's very difficult. And so I by no means think that um, anybody leaving the church right now is like super happy and and has no regrets. And uh, maybe some people feel that way, but I think a lot of people um, are hurting in different ways. And so anyway, I just, I'm like, yeah, just trying to see how um, how it can be difficult for others as much as it is difficult for me. Um, but what's hard moving forward is then like knowing knowing what to do, knowing if or how or when to reach out or knowing, yeah, just kind of how to process it all. That's really good. I think there's two things that you guys both said just from listening to you talk about this, answer this question. Uh, one, Chelsea, you're talking about the fact that um, it's easy for us to be so caught up in our hurt and our pain and not see, even if the person that whatever they did was wrong, right? And not see that, okay, maybe they're going through something too. Like that's the hardest thing to do is to get yourself out of yourself and just maybe let me just go on their side, even though I think what they did was wrong. I don't like how they handled it, but maybe there's something going on with them that's um, that's causing them to make this decision or even act in this way. And it's connected to what you said, Will, because Will, you said earlier that quoting Keller, that those going through some of these things can either make you really nasty and bitter over time, or it can produce beauty out of you. And I think what creates those two dynamics is whether you choose to forgive or not. And I think you mentioned that earlier about forgiveness being that that pathway, that window that allows beauty to come in, because it keeps us soft and not hardened and shell and like you know, brittle or whatever. So I, I really appreciate the way you guys put that. And it sounds like, you know, you guys have encountered that in the church, you know? So that's uh that's that's heavy stuff to to talk about. Um 
if anybody's listening, pray for them. <laughs> um, but I want to end on a very positive note. What are your hopes for New City Church in Manassas? And what are your hopes for yourself as, uh, as you pers- continue to serve God and the calling that he's giving you to? My immediate hope as you say that, and we're beginning to experience a little bit of it, is these two years have been sort of historically um, uprooting um, all the things that maybe we once relied on have been shaken up. A lot of people have even on simple levels moved to new locations. And I find often, and you may even find examples in, in the New Testament of this, but like times when the Lord seems to move and draw people to himself are often in those sort of um, uprooted life just threw a curveball to you and you're trying to find a foundation. You're trying to make sense of everything going on around you. And it's in that moment that the Lord just comes through. Maybe just examples of some of Jesus's healings where people have this point of pain, um, you know, uh, moments like that where, um, or, or the Ethiopian eunuch who's just in this moment of asking big questions and just at the right time, someone's there to share the gospel, you know, with him by the Lord's providence. Mm -hmm. My hope going forward for our church is that as, people around our church are in a place of sorting out life right now, as so many people are doing, that that sorting out would lead them to ask questions that would ultimately uh, bring them into the church context and they would encounter Christ and, and be transformed. And that our even people who are walking with God would be aware of that and, and inviting people and drawing them in to maybe find some of the answers that they're looking for um, and don't quite know it in the church. That's amazing. Yeah, implanting this church, the reason for starting this church in Manassas is to reach the lost people in our city to see people come to Jesus here in Manassas. And so it does feel like a lot of that has been lost. So my hope is that that's what, you know, our, our members are thinking is how can we reach people in this city? How can we draw people in to meet Jesus? That's, that's the hope. That's why we're here, you know? May the Lord add to your number. You are a good preacher, Will, and I'm not just saying that. I'm not flattering you. I think Amy agrees. Amy's uncle also agrees. I think I told you this a while ago at our wedding. By the way, Will preached at our wedding uh, years ago, and uh, her uncle came up to us years after, and he was like, man, the guy that preached at your wedding, he was so good. He was like, just, he was so, he said you were like non-offensive, but you were, you still said truthful things. And I think that was true today about your preaching. So I just want to encourage you for that. And I know you have an evangelistic heart. So I do pray that God do, does add to your number while you guys pursue that. Thanks, guys, for coming on. Amen. Thank, Thank you. you.